0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I never would have thought that I would get so much the- theological wisdom from my middle school English teacher. Now, I don't, remember, don't know what you remember from your middle school English teacher. In my class, it's where we read Romeo and Juliet and Great Expectations. We refined the finer points of grammar, and also, we learned about the structure of stories how stories work. And part of that was looking at and considering the different kinds of conflicts that you can have in a story. And I remember my teacher showing us that there were at least four kinds of conflicts that recurred again and again and again in stories across the world and across time, many times intersecting and and layering on top of one another. But she said that these four conflicts are perennial. And it was this. She said, first of all, you have man versus himself. Those stories where it seems like the the conflict is really internal, and you think of like the movie Rocky, one of my favorites, right? He's like, oh, do I got what it takes? My Rocky impersonation, right? It's really about that self-doubt. Then you've got man versus man, okay, where there's like a villain, there's a bad guy and the good guy. Harry Potter is trying to overcome Voldemort or whatever it might be, right? That's maybe the most common or most familiar kind of conflict. There's also man versus creation or man versus nature. This is every like natural disaster movie and story, The Perfect Storm and Twister. Are we going to be able to escape this tornado? Those are man versus creation. But then finally, my teacher said, my middle school English teacher, she said the conflict that undergirds all of these, that's in the background behind all of the other conflicts, is this, man versus God. Man versus God now why this foray into my middle school english class to start with here because the text we're going to look at today is from genesis chapter 3 and genesis 3 you're probably familiar with this this is where we have what's called the fall into sin this is where adam and eve having been placed in the garden of eden and given this promise from god that you can eat of any fruit of any tree except this one and on the day that you eat of it you shall surely die they say okay cool and promptly, the serpent, whom we understand to be Satan, comes in, deceives Eve, deceives Adam. They take the fruit. And you understand that it's not just about taking the fruit. It's not just that, that one instance of disobedience. It's that breaking of faith and trust with God. And where our passage picks up today is where we see the immediate aftermath, or what you might say is the fallout of the fall. And what I want to show you is that using those different ways of understanding the the conflicts, the different sorts of conflicts, we can see the extent of the fall. That it's not just about, well, now I have this ruptured relationship with God. That's fundamental, and that undergirds everything else. But in fact, the effects of the fall, its fallout, touch every single aspect of life. And as we look at that, as we understand that more deeply, then we'll be able to see and appreciate the full fruits of the redemption that you and I have in Christ Jesus. So if you've got your worship folder, if you want to grab the Bible in the the pew back, go ahead and open to our Old Testament reading from Genesis chapter 3. We're picking up with verse 8. So I want to start kind of backwards from the way my teacher did it with that fundamental fracture with that original rift the conflict between God and man because as I say this is the one that undergirds and infuses everything else and we see it right there straight away in verse 8 and they Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden now dumb question Can man actually hide themselves from God? No, of course not, right? God's not like walking around the garden, and that's a whole sermon for another time. Wait a second, God's walking around in the garden? We'll just brush past that at this point. But God's walking around in the garden, and he's like, oh, where are they? I don't know where they are. No, of course God knows where they are. It's kind of like, no offense, guys, when I play hide-and-seek with my kids, okay? I don't want to name names, Ellie, but... You know, when somebody is like hiding behind a curtain and you can still see their feet, you know, sticking out. This is sort of what it's like as Adam and Eve are trying to hide from the presence of the Lord. But of course, it's more significant than that. It's not just that it's a bad game of hide and seek. This is symbolic of the fact that now that relationship has been ruptured, has been torn asunder. That perfect communion and fellowship that the creator made his creatures for has been broken so that now they are running, they are hiding, they are fleeing from him. And look, this wasn't just a a terrible action that happened once upon a time, but this fallout from the fall, it continues to infect all mankind still to this day. I love the words of the, the first hymn that we sang this morning. It says, in Adam we have all been one, one huge rebellious man. We all have fled that evening voice that sought us as we ran. One just Adam and Eve's fault or their problem, but it's you and me too. That in our heart of hearts, we all flee from the Father who pursues us and who keeps calling to you and me, where are you? As the passage goes on, though, we see that this original rift, this fundamental fracture between God and man, that then it has ripple effects, that it goes out into all these other relationships. And just think back again to those different conflicts that my middle school English teacher talked about. We could go to man versus himself. And we see this in the text as well. As it goes on, it says, The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. See, we see Adam here already having that original division within the self. That sense that even within me, I have this fight, this battle ongoing, that I can't subdue it. St. Paul expressed it in this way in Romans chapter 7 when he said, The good that I would do, I do not do, and that which I do not want to do, that I keep on doing. It's the greatest tongue twister in all of Scripture, right? Right? This division within the self. And it's from this that stems all sorts of psychosis and all of our struggles, all of our depression and anxiety, our fundamental wondering and worrying, who am I? What am I about in this world? And it's where all the shame and guilt come from as well. As we see Adam trying to run from God, trying to hide himself. See, we all do this. We all have our fig leaves that we try to use to tell ourselves wait a second i can i can still hide i can still cover up this thing of which i am ashamed that i regret all of that shame and guilt stems from that fundamental fracture it's fallout from the fall as now we are divided even within ourselves and it doesn't stop there but now it goes also into all of our other relationships It's within ourselves and also within the human community, among one another, man versus man, or in this case, man versus woman. As it goes on, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. This is the first instance of husbands blaming wives, right? You're the one that didn't put the keys where they were supposed to go. You are the one who was supposed to get the new jug of milk, right? We're constantly playing the blame game, and it stems back from that original fall. It's all part of the fallout. But also all discord and strife, rivalry, it all comes from here. As now within the human community, we can't help but point fingers at one another. To look at one another, to castigate each other. Happens between individuals, but it also happens between people groups. It happens between nations. There would be no war if not for the fall and its fallout. As now man is broken among one another. But then finally, this ripples out all the way into the entire physical creation. As God levels his curse against Adam and Eve and speaks this in verse 16. To the woman he said... I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And to Adam he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. So we see that now there is that division and discord, not just between man and God, not just between man and himself and man and others, but also man and woman and the whole physical creation. Now, I have not myself given birth, as you may know, um, but I am married to somebody who has given birth four times. I've been there. I've seen how painful. God bless you, honey. You are a hero. Many of you here have experienced this as well. Can you imagine the fact that this is not how god originally intended it to be but that this is part of the fallout from the fall and again work was meant to be a delight working the ground but instead god says now it's going to be thorns and thistles that now your labor itself is going to be toil and trouble for you rather than the blessing that it was originally intended to be the ground itself is cursed thorns and thistles coming up everywhere we look All those ecological challenges and disasters that we're dealing with, natural disasters, would not happen. There would not be earthquakes or tsunamis or hurricanes if it were not for the fact of this fallout from the fall into sin. It is extended to all of creation. So when we talk about the fall, we don't do it justice if we just say, well, it's about me and God kind of not being being on the outs, as it were. It is that. And that affects everything else. Our relationship with others, our relationship with ourselves, our own self-understanding, and indeed our relationship to the whole physical creation. It's all broken from this fallout of the fall. But here already, within this text in Genesis 3, there is a glimmer of hope. I want to draw your attention to verse 15. And this is... Part of embedded within God's curse is also a promise. He's speaking to the serpent here. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, your seed and her seed or offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, Thank you, my middle school English teacher who helped me with grammar also to point out to you something that you can't quite pick up in the English. But in the original Hebrew, the word there for offspring or seed is Zerah. Let me hear you say Zerah. Zera. And what's fascinating about this, and interpreters through the years would argue and debate about this, is that zera is a singular. It's a singular And it's one of those words that in Hebrew, as in English, it can kind of do double duty. Like when you go out hunting and you say, you know, I shot some deer, all right? You don't say, I shot some deers, um, or I caught me some mises. No, Um, it's kind of a a collective plural. But also, and St. Paul picks up on this in his letter to the Galatians, it's already foreshadowing that long-after descendant of Eve, the seed, the offspring who is to come. Our Lord Jesus. That's why ancient interpreters called this the prot evangelium, which means the first promise of the gospel. That already, right here in the midst of the fall and its fallout, God is looking ahead and saying, I'm not going to leave it broken and shattered like so many shards from the cookie jar on the floor. But instead, I'm going to bind up the wounds of this broken world. I promise that I am going to restore it to the shalom that it was originally intended to be. That's the hope for which the whole human community and indeed all creation awaits and looks forward to. That this seed, this offspring of Eve, he is the one who is going to crush the serpent's head. Even while he himself will have his heel bruised, an allusion, a reference to his crucifixion and his ultimate victory through the resurrection. Christ Jesus, through his death and resurrection, reconciles and brings back so that it is no longer torn asunder this world that has been rent apart. Now it is healed and stitched back together through the stitches over his wounds and his scars. Can I give an amen? Amen. It says in Colossians chapter 1 that Christ Jesus, through his death and resurrection, reconciles to himself all things. And Ephesians 2.15 says he himself is our shalom, is our peace. Again, if we only look at that in terms of me and God being okay, that's good. That's the foundation. But I also want to show you how this redemption radiates into every aspect of our lives and existence. It starts with our restored relationship with God. And it leads to a restored relationship even with ourselves. That in repentant faith, we're able to recover our true humanity, find our identity, that we are children of God. Now, I do want to say something here, though, because sometimes you can get the impression from Christians, even from preachers, that, well, look, if you're a Christian, if you're a real Christian, if you're a real believer, religious people will say this sort of thing, well, then you shouldn't be struggling with, with mental health. Then depression or anxiety, that, shouldn't, that kind of darkness shouldn't be something that you deal with. Because, wait a second, didn't Jesus fix all that? And look, the reality is that in this age, until our Lord Jesus returns, we are still dealing with the fallout from the fall. You can be a Christian and still be depressed and anxious. And sorry to say, Jesus didn't just wave a magic wand and get rid of all of that in this life, in this age. But we still have this promise and this hope that on the last day he will sweep that all the way and in the meantime to give us that true sense of who we are in the midst of the darkness that we are light in the Lord so we see how Jesus brings that shalom that peace to us in man versus himself but also in man versus man in our relationships with one another, our vertical relationship with God, if you will, that spills over into our horizontal relationships with one another. The reconciliation between the creator and his creatures now that goes out into our relationships with others. This is how it works or how it ought to work within the Christian community. See, Christians, we should not be bridge burners. The ones who are going out into the world and saying, hey, we've got the truth. We know how it is. And God, why don't you cast down fire on all of those ungodly, infidel sinners out there? You remember the disciples themselves. They tried to do this once or twice with Jesus. Like, Jesus, the Samaritans were rejecting us. Can we just go ahead and do some pyrotechnics and just get rid of them? And Jesus is like, okay, you've still got some learning to do. Uh, as Christians, as God's people, we're not called to be bridge burners, but bridge builders. As I've said elsewhere, we're instruments of shalom, see? Ambassadors of reconciliation to spread that reconciliation of our Lord Jesus out into the world. But you know, it still keeps going on from there. Our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with others, and then ultimately, on the last day, our relationship to the whole physical creation. You might have heard that the point of being a believer is simply that you will die and be with Jesus someday. That's true. Don't walk out of here saying, Pastor said I'm not going to die and go to be with Jesus. That's not what I'm saying, folks. But that our ultimate hope is not just life after death, but life after life after death. In other words, it is the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. That when our Lord Jesus returns, he is not only going to raise us from the dead, restore us body and soul, but he is also going to reconcile and restore the whole physical creation. It's gonna be like the most epic fixer-upper job of all time, see. As God fixes this broken, wearied world and makes it how it originally intended to be. You remember that great Christmas carol, Joy to the World? I know it because we still sing it every night at bedtime in my house. (laughs) No more let sins or sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as the curse is found that is our future hope that our God is going to reverse the curse in full and restore his blessing over all things so I want to leave you with just a brief meditation what does this mean for us now as the people of God and I want to think that way corporately as the church as the people of god and not only as individual christians there's a theologian a guy by the name of francis Schaeffer. he gives this powerful image for what the church is he says the church is to be the pilot plant of the kingdom of heaven the pilot plant of the new creation what is a pilot plant it's actually it's a metaphor that comes from the world of industry and the idea is that like one of a firm or a company might want to build a a future factory before they build the whole thing, they might start out with just a small one, a, a, a provisional factory, just to kind of see, okay, how is this going to do? How is it going to take? Is it going to stand up? Will it be successful? Schaefer says that we, as Christians, as the people of God, we are like that pilot plant of the kingdom of heaven. We're not able to realize fully in this life the healing that we have in Christ, but he says there is this substantial healing that is or ought to be seen within the church. So just think for a minute of what that might look like within the body of believers. First, that relationship of man versus himself, within the church. Again, there's no promise that all of us are always going to be in tip-top shape, that none of us are going to be struggling with depression or anxiety or mental health issues. In fact, it's probably going to be just the opposite. But you know what? What we have within the church is the brotherhood of the broken, see? The sisterhood of sinners who aren't able to fully be freed from all of these struggles in this life, but who bear with one another in love and are able to carry with one another as we limp along in our relationships with one another, those horizontal relationships with others. The church ought to be a place that transcends all of those differences and distinctions, those man-made human things that our world right now seems to be so obsessed with. But instead to be a people that say, no, our unity doesn't come from our skin color, it doesn't come from our ethnicity, it doesn't come from all of these different things that the world uses to try and divide us, but instead we have a deeper unity that is found not in blood, but in water, in baptismal water that unites us together as the body of Christ. See, that is the the fellowship, the reconciliation that we have within the people of God. And finally, we have this reconciled relationship already, a taste of it, with the Physical creation, as we are cultivating the beauty and bounty of God's good world. And I love how even here on our church grounds, you have a little taste of that. Because of the the hard work of Marie and others who have beautified our grounds, all, all these wonderful flowers and landscaping, And do we need to do that? Like, Can we still deliver Jesus without having beautiful grounds? Well, yeah, of course. But because we recognize that here as the pilot plant, we want to bring forth that beauty. In our community garden, is it small? Sure, but it's bringing forth the first fruits of what God is ultimately going to do, a place where we can already get a taste of what He will do for all things. Look, when we as the people of God live this way, as the pilot plant, we are inviting all of the world to come to the true tree of life, our Lord Jesus, and to receive a taste of the fruits of redemption and a foretaste of the new Jerusalem that restored Eden that is yet to come. God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen. We stand for prayer.